Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Soapa. Busy Living Soapa. Hi, ladies. What's Hi. going on? This is episode 178 with the ladies that wrote The Sober Lush. How awesome is that? How are you guys, Amanda and Jardine? Good to see you two. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well in these crazy, uncertain times. Which is a lot. To be doing well is a lot. Well, it's hard, right? Yeah. It's, I find it's like I have to take it one day at a time. No pun in that. But, you know, um, it's just the unknown. I call it time out land. Oh, that's good. You know? Yeah. I'm going to borrow what that. What do you mean by that? Because when you have kids, at least when my kids were little, I'd be like, all right, you're going in timeout. And like timeout land is like, there's no real, it's not really time, really. You're just sitting there, right? You just can't do anything. You yeah. just have to sit there and the time will go by. So if it's, I mean, when the kids went to timeout, it was normally 10 minutes maximum. But you know, this is like endless. I don't know when it's going to be over. So I try to just enjoy the moments as best I can, you know? Because it's different everywhere we go. I'm in Florida where, you know, the numbers are ramping up and it's kind of, it's very uncertain, right? Yeah, I do not like uncertainty and I'm a control freak. So it's, it's a good thing. I've learned a lot of tools for dealing with uncertainty and situations I can't control. I would say every day I have to remind myself to just back off and not try to control everything and you know, we don't know what's happening with school. We don't know what's happening with our friends. And it's hard. I want to come see my mom in Savannah, but I don't know how to get there and where to stay. And yeah, it's, it's, um, I love Savannah, by the way. Um, it's really, cause we have a, um, we also have a house up North in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia where, um, and to even get there, you know, I don't want to fly we'd have to drive, which is a very long drive. <laughs> and then it's like, do we stop along the way? It's crazy. We drove from Austin here to Colorado and it was two days and the planning and the uncertainty of when we were gonna go and if and how was so terrible that now that we're here, I feel so relieved. You know, I don't, we don't have to discuss every night. Are we going, do we bring all our own food? Yes. I found a sanitized Airbnb along the way. And I'm so glad to be here that I don't know when we'll leave because I can't go through that again. You should stay. I think we you might should stay. You should come. I know, and <laughs> I'll come meet you. Me. Well, I'll come meet you there. I know about a sanitized Airbnb on the way. <laughs> so tell me this. Tell everyone that hasn't read your book how you two came together. I read it. I read um, how you guys met. Well, will you tell our listeners? Yes, I'd love to tell that story. Do you mind, Jardine? Sure. Of course not, no. So I had gotten sober, you know, many times and then gone back out. And I, one of the biggest problems for me with staying sober was that I thought I could just live in the same life. I thought, you know, I just won't drink Chardonnay and I'll do all the same things and it'll be great. And it wasn't great. <clears throat> and it, I didn't know how to re-envision my life. I learned so many tools from so many people, but then finally a friend we have in common told me that I should meet Jardine, who was also a writer and also sober. 
And I remember going to Jardine's house the first time. I've told this story now a few times, but it's one of my favorites because I walked in and Jardine had a pot of hot French press coffee in her beautiful home, playing music, surrounded by art and books. And it seemed so glamorous. And I thought, oh, this is what I want. I want this life. There's no room for booze because it's so beautiful and wonderful. And then we talked for hours and it just started to feel like a whole new life was possible for me. And, and it was. It was great because we got to connect too through being writers and like, you know, the very beginning of being an adult and pursuing a writing career and who we romanticize, like what heavy drinking, you know, hard living writers we adored. And it was nice to have that little touchstone, like a little place to, to um, launch into sobriety from as we talked. It's hard. It's hard sometimes to find that common space if it's if you're looking for something besides just I want to be sober you're looking for like a grounding in the life you already live um, so we were lucky I think a lot of the book comes out of starting there and a lot of our friendship came from from starting there and dreaming the same things when we were young and pursuing you know, the and same that's what you need writers someone, you know someone mm -hmm. you can text who gets it when you're yeah, in the who gets it who gets something who gets some part of what you're, you're after, you know? And I love that because it's kind of, um, some of the ways you guys, how you glamorize the drinking is like kind of like the great Gatsby. I'm just gonna go there because I know you guys mentioned that and how it was beautiful. And you know, I too, when I was younger, that's all I wanted to be with like the grownups in the beautiful dress with the beautiful cocktail and the beautiful glass and just with the beautiful cigarette, just like the whole, that, that whole picture. <laughs> you describe is what I wanted to. And then you realize, oh, okay, I don't process alcohol like other people do. Mm -hmm. So now what? Then you have to dismantle the whole idea of glamour. It's, yeah. it's, it's so crazy to like take it apart. We've talked a lot about that between ourselves. And then again, I think that came out in the, in the book a lot is, is like, how do you forensically figure out how you built up this idea of glamour or uh, friendship and alcohol were inseparable to me, like mm -hmm. true friendships had to do with vendors and like trips where you remembered like one day out of six, you know, <laughs> and like all these different constructions where you have to slowly take them apart and be like, oh, I put the beautiful dress with the beautiful glass with the beautiful house, that equaled glamour, you know? Um, but it's exciting to find the tools to take it apart. It is, it is, and it's hard too at times, you know? It's, it's hard to say, okay, that's not real. What I was doing for so long was really not real. Like going and having all these experiences that we don't remember and then having that remorse, the guilt, the shame, all that that came along with it and going, oh my gosh. I, for me, it was 37 years, you know, I didn't get so much, I was 37. So I was like, oh my gosh, all these experiences I had, or always went along with, oh, but I don't really remember. I mean, that's one of the, that was one of the hardest parts for me in staying sober, honestly, was the first few months that I had to look back on all my past experiences with a new lens. And it was so shameful and unbearable that I really wanted to go back to the perspective that that was all okay. 
and just jump right back in and be like, let's just ignore that knowledge and go back into it. And actually, I'm in an incredible online group of sober people called the Booze Free Brigade. It's on Facebook, BFB. And, um, and someone just today in the first few weeks was saying, when is this crushing shame gonna end? And that for me was getting past that point and starting to feel proud of myself and starting to say, yeah, that was not good, but it's different now. That was a huge tool for me, feeling proud of myself. It's yeah, hard it's, to get there, It does. And um, you know, I, my first phrase that I actually coined was sober, not ashamed because I had two grandmothers that were alcoholics and my family would talk about them like, oh, they're alcoholic. And, you know, hiding and the whole shame that went along with that. But then they're like, you're an alcoholic, but here's a cocktail, right? It wasn't like, oh, let's help this person. Let's see if there's another way. And I think that that's what I love about the Sober Lush. There's a new way of living. It doesn't all, it doesn't have to be you know, so shameful. It can be fun. You can have life that's full of like so many exciting things, even though there's no alcohol involved. I think sometimes I overdo it now. I'm so, that that is so important to me to remove the shame from the equation that I kind of like, even when I don't know people that well, talk a lot about, and I'm sober <laughs> because I kind of <laughs> want everyone to know I'm really proud of it but also I just want to be able to talk about it in a normal way I had to quit I did and here's what's next you know and and that's what we wanted to have the book be a part of maybe people reading it who hadn't reached a terrible bottom but thought would my life actually just be better removing all this drama from the equation and this booze and so we wanted to you know it's been wonderful to talk about this book because it's the kind of book you're not going to hide when you're you know reading it hopefully you'd be able to say yeah I'm, i am a sober lush and proud of it <laughs> So tell me this, did either of you go through re rehabs or anything like that? Was that any part of your, either of your journeys? I had a great therapist. I also tried to get sober. I probably knew in my mid twenties that I should, I would have a better life if I was sober and stubbornly just could not, you know, engage. I went to a couple of meetings early on, like in my thirties and was you know, I went to a really hardcore one in the East Village. Like I didn't ask around. So I, I kind of ended up at the most rough, raw meeting that there was in all of New York City. And Perry Street. Was it Perry there. Street? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so I finally, in my mid-30s, it was really getting kind of ugly for me. Um, and my therapist was great. She let me come to it when I was ready. She didn't tell me like, you have to go to treatment, you have to do this. Um, but when I finally was ready, she, um, we talked a lot about what would be best. And I ended up going to an intensive outpatient at the hospital nearby. So I got to keep working, but I would go every night. And um, I actually didn't tell many people, which I was so not ready to tell people. So I managed to do this five week treatment program without really telling that many people in my inner circle, which I don't necessarily recommend, but if that's how you have to do it, then do it that way. However you do it is good. Um, and it ended up being good for me. It was a really, I'd never been able to find structure in my sobriety. I'd have these little like 30 day stints and then I'd fall apart. And 
And it was good. It, it was the bridge to what is almost eight years now of sobriety. So. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. And what about you, Amanda? So I also had a great therapist. Um, I grew up with an alcoholic dad who's now sober. And so I, when I blacked out at 14 for the first time, started this drama of, am I an alcoholic? No. How can I drink? You know, I remember reading Drinking a Love Story by Caroline Knapp, and I took it as a guidebook in the sense that she talks about if you go too far, you're going to have to quit. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to go too far. So as a control freak, I just spent so much energy moderating. Honestly, I'm like, the badass moderator of all time. And it was so exhausting. Um, and I did it for so many years. And I would go to meetings and I think I consciously chose a really rough meeting so I could be like, okay, I am not like these people. But then like the most disheveled dude would stand up and start talking and it was like my brain. Like he was saying what I thought. But I, I you know, just kept saying, well, then, I, then at one point I thought, now that I've gone through the 12 steps, I can definitely drink and use all that information. <laughs> and so I still remember the day my therapist said, though, you know, it doesn't seem like you can control this. But if you can't and you accept that, you can't be mad at yourself for all the times you didn't control it. And that was so freeing to me. Like, yeah, I can't. And that means I don't have to feel ashamed for all those times because I couldn't control it. And so I quit and I went to AA and I found this group online and I met Jardine and a few sober friends and, and it was all helpful to me. But interestingly, I found my home in Al-Anon and there's an incredible group that I go to and I am a classic codependent. So the Al-Anon program worked for me as an alcoholic, interestingly, because it's very gentle and it's a lot about, um, it's similar, but different to AA. So that's the program that I've found peace in um, and being sober is a part of that. And how long have you been sober now? Over four years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Great blackout. <laughs> it's, um, it's very interesting. So, um, you know, I'll have God willing 14 years in August. Wow. Oh That's amazing. It's crazy. Um, but I, you know, busy living sober, it was, is all about getting busy living sober in the day and whatever works for you. Right. So if someone needs to go to cognitive therapy and that's what their answer is, and then that's how they proceed in life. They get to that place where they've gone really deep. Cause a lot of us, I feel like have some sort of trauma or something that happened in our past that we were like, Oh my gosh, if I feel this, I'm, if I really go there to that place that hurts so badly, and if I admit to it, then, then it's going to be like Humpty Dumpty, and I'm going to become a million pieces all over the place, and you won't be able to put me back together again because I'm so broken. I'll be like a puddle on the ground. Mm. Yep. You know, and I think, you know, so having that person in your life and you two finding each other, right? Is that just like, it's some, something intervened. We can call it a higher power. We can call it God. We can call it Buddha. We can call it whatever it is. But to have someone that you can relate to on that level, that's, you know, it's real. And that's yeah. why it's interesting, Amanda, you said you were, you know, I know you were joking when you were saying you were over telling people about it, but I wish I had over talked about it in my younger years or just talked more. It's 
sobriety in general or the curiosity about it or the fears around it are so stigmatized that I was so quiet. And I think we ended up knowing each other because we both were talking about it more. And so somebody right. who knew us both connected us. So if I had advice for my younger self, I would just say, put it out there. Like if you have questions, put them out there and then you're more likely to find that or higher power is more likely to set you up with that, that ally who's right for you is going to say, Oh, I did this therapy or I went into this group and you might love it or online, blah, blah, blah. I was so silent, you know, that I think I probably kept things from advancing in terms of progress and connection for decades, you know? And I think that's a perfect example of like Jardine saying the perfect thing that makes me feel so good and peaceful. (laughs) Thanks. I believe it's the shame that you, and I think it's that inner shame we have about ourselves and constantly judging ourselves and constantly going to that place where, oh my gosh, why can't I drink like a normal person? Why is it that I always have to push the envelope to that next level where I wake up the next day and I'm like, who's that? Okay. You know, it's, um, it, there's just so much, cause that's the last thing you want to be because I believe like still today, even though we're in 2020, they betray the alcoholic as someone that's like in, you know, there it's a bum. It's someone who lives in the park. They carry their bottle in a paper bag. God forbid they have two cars in the driveway. They live in a nice zip code. You know, nobody would ever want to say that that's what it is, but it's truly, that's what it, that's who we are. You know, we are people who live in zip codes and we do have jobs and we do have cars, but we're still broken. Yeah, and the other piece that I love about sobriety is listening to the inner voice. You know, I think I was kind of, I had built this persona of like, I'm a mom, but I am wild. Woo! Like, let's get going. And I was proud of that and maybe a little bit scared to be like the nerdy introvert. I really am. And so Chardonnay helped me like go to the party and be crazy. And I didn't know how to feel wild or dangerous without adding booze. And part of it is that I didn't want to be wild a lot of the time. You know, I wanted to be home. And that's something now, a lot of the time, I prefer a bubble bath, so I go and take one. But it's also amazing to, to show, like, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and it's really fun to show her that you can be fierce by hiking a mountain, you know, to the very top, rather than being fierce by, like, getting wasted with your, with your daughter at the party. You know, so it's redefining, you know, like we were talking about, redefining all things, but also how you access that feeling of being wild and being exciting and how you rebuild those, you know, events. Yeah, the, the way we look at alcoholics and talk about addicts in general is antiquated. And then the way we look at and talk about sober people is antiquated. You know, it, it just, and I do feel like there is so much movement now and so much fresh air in this world that people are open to the idea that sobriety isn't you know soul killing and like the end of life and you know and and are more accepting on the other side of like dysfunctional relationships to substances takes place in so many different kinds of households so many different demographics like it it seems to be moving forward a little bit. It is way behind. It's the conversation is so way behind the reality. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. 
I feel like we are, and, and I think of you busy doing this as well. We are creating a space for women in our years, you know, who are fierce and feeling young and we're healthy, you know, cause it's not pretty like the hard drinking woman over 40 is not generally a great role, but what are the roles? You know, where is the fierce mom? How does that get created? You know, where is the beautiful, powerful, sober leader? And that, that I think is really exciting that we're starting to see those roles be redefined because I think a lot of the reason, um, for example, people of my mom's generation drank as they got to be my age is that there weren't they weren't that happy and they were allowed to say, I don't want to make this dinner. I want to go get the career I always wanted, things like that. And so part of being sober is hearing those voices that say, I'm not doing it this way. You know, I'm going to listen to my heart and do it my way and build a life that I don't need to have a few cocktails to sort of soothe myself at the end of the day. So I love that part of it, you know. I have to say, you know, when you talked about being, and I just love to say loud and proud, I don't know why that keeps going through my head, but when you talk about being loud and proud, I have been loud and proud about being sober for so long. And my nick, my real name's Elizabeth, they call me Busy, it's my nickname. So any, through fruition, it came, that it became called Busy Living Sober. And so all my kids, I have three children, one is now almost 20, they're 23, 22, and 20. And so everybody knows that I'm the sober mom. And I have to tell you that it's interesting when you have kids nowadays and they know about the sober movement, right? They know kids are now realizing that other kids are having to get sober because of the opioid problems that are going on in schools today. That's going, it, it doesn't matter what demographic you're from, right? That's a big thing about heroin and other opiates. It's, it just goes into every sort of, every part of society. And going to, uh, it was interesting. I'll just tell you this quick story. So my son's, uh, he's now graduated from college, but when he was in college, he'd call me and he'd say, mom, these other moms would come to the, come to fraternity parties and they'd have to tie a yellow balloon to their back so that they knew that it was a mom that was getting drunk with the kids. He said, could you, Matt? He's like, mom, I am so happy, but that would have been me. I'm yeah. not going to lie. That would have been me. I would have been the mom that's like, sure, let's play quarters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I do. Unattractive. <laughs> I remember thinking, I remember, you know, you go through all these scenarios like, well, I can be sober, but not if I go to Rome, not at my kid's wedding, you know, like all these things. And I remember thinking through, I actually wrote a scene in one of my books at the wedding and they're the older parents and the dad stays up smoking cigars and drinking scotch and the mom at like 10 is like, I'm happy for this wedding. I'm going to go drink tea and read upstairs. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's yeah. who I'm going to be like this white haired, elegant woman who's like, good night all. <laughs> I love that. Rather than being, yeah, the, the yellow balloon, white haired combo. <laughs> That yellow balloon image is going <laughs> to stick with me for a while. That is, Disney, that is <laughs> when he called me and he said that to me, but I could totally relate to it. But mm -hmm. so many people think, and at least for me, I know that when I had to finally give up and booze, I have to say was my best friend. You know, it was the, it made everything okay. It was like the one thing that I could go to and it always did the trick. I mean, yes, I'd wake up many times going, I, I was a blackout drinker from a very young age. And coming in and, you know, I used the 12 steps as well. And I, um, 
And I, just that, but that was like, I have to tell you, that was the scariest thing was like going to say, I'm going to give this up. This is like, wait a minute. I, I mean, like I was more scared to give up booze than I was to get married, buy a house, buy cars, have kids, all those scary things in the world that we do. That was not that scary compared to giving up booze. Do you agree? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was entwined with everything. It was like what I thought was cool, what I thought was beautiful, what I thought was real living, like true bonding, all these things that, you know, I labeled as authentic, like a tr going to Rome is really going to Rome if you drink, you know, all this, it was, I really thought I was going to live a lesser life. And um, the opposite has turned out to be true. Thank God. But yeah, it terrified me. Again, past knowing for more than a decade that I should be sober. That's what kept me from, it's, it's just yeah, that literal to... fear and then a big abstract fear. It's crazy. Yeah, I had built everything around. All of my friends drank a lot. Um, we had a whole life set up with the kids. We would go to people's houses. This is how it worked. We'd go to the lake house. Who would bring the wine or were we drinking vodka because we were dieting you know and i had to i i think the fear i understood that to stop drinking i would have to change a lot of my life um and i was scared i would lose everything and i lost a lot i lost a lot of friends um just because i couldn't go to the parties anymore or we didn't have as much in common and then many friends changed to lunch dates and i made new friends but that process about a year of every event saying, yeah, well, we're not actually hosting the giant New Year's Eve party that I black out at every year, you know? I remember that first New Year's Eve of staying home with my kids and we were all in our pajamas watching the fireworks when we had been the host for a decade. And so, but then once that year and all of those events were sort of reimagined, um, it got easier, but I knew it would be burning everything down and it was. And I think the, you know, the book is meant to portray like a lot of the possibilities on the other side, but not ever meant to indicate it will all be easy or life will be without pain or grief because those are natural organic parts of life. And definitely it, it is not meant to um, send a message that that first year is, is going to be simple and easy. I think Originally, everyone has to find their way, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. I was just going to tell Busy that originally the book was a year. It was organized starting in January and going through the year. And I think, you know, we're hoping to bring it out, you know, talk about it more in January as well, because a lot of people sort of get sober in the new year. Um, I like the way that we organized it thematically because it's open for people to join at any time and also for international audiences who aren't really worried about their Thanksgiving, you know, Merlot problem. <laughs> um, but, but we did originally think, you know, let's go through that really, really rough year. You know, the first year. Can I tell you what I, so what, so when, when I read it and my husband who's also happens to be sober as well, um, he and I were both, we were looking at it on the beach the other day and I was like, what would you, what would you say this, like, how would you describe this book? And he said, there's a book, I don't know if either of you know about it, it's called Sober Living. So it's, a, it's antiquated because it's a book and, and <laughs> Jardine can, knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's a little antiquated, right? 
And this book is like a new version for someone that is out there that's hip and wants to have this life that is like, I still want to go to the cocktail party. I don't want to be left out of guest list because of the fact that I'm sober and proud, but I still want to be able to come. But how do I go? This book tells you how you can go and not feel so weird, right? And not feel like, oh my God, I need to have 400 glasses of Chardonnay just so I can make it through till 8.30 or 9 o'clock whenever, but dinner served, right? I mean, those are probably two of my most important tools. The Vanish, which we write about, which means you can go to anything and you can leave anytime. And I was just telling my son who was going to go camping with the older kids. He said, I don't want to go. What if I decide I don't want to be there? I said, here's the deal. You go, I'll come pick you up anytime. And so you can go. And he did. And he called me late at night and said, I think they're bears. I want you to come get me. And I did. <laughs> and he had enjoyed the camp out until then. And the other piece is feeling like you have a group that has your back. And that's what is so useful about so many recovery programs, because you can be at the party where nobody gets it, but you know you have a group of friends who do get it. And you know, I've texted people from closets at parties, you know, from bathrooms, and it makes all the difference in the world to know, you know, there's a lot of people who get it. This is not fun anymore. You can go. <laughs> and because uh, sometimes when you're in the world, especially if your family drinks or a lot of your friends drink, it can feel like you're crazy. I think also like you and I have talked a lot about this, Amanda, there's like the party that you go to because you think you have to. And then there was also this deep dive we both have done independently and then together just talking as friends, like what is fun? You know, what, what do we want from a party? Like if it has nothing to do with what's in a glass, then what is it? You know? And, and I think my idea of fun and partying and, what is joyful, what is celebratory, what is like coming together with people, what is rock and roll, what is wild. That has all probably become more defined because I think it used to be more about a party is where you're supposed to be. It's very group oriented, you know, where are the people tonight? What was I invited to do? What am I expected to do? And sobriety for me has been like a kind of new autonomy where I figure out what do I want to do and what's fun and and when do I want to go home you know when do I want to call that uber and do you think and I don't you think that you have to find like self-love and self-compassion and forgiveness and I think that that's like one of the hardest hurdles I think about being sober it's like being okay with what's inside and going I'm okay I'm okay, even though I still remember what I've done and being okay with that self-love. And I feel like they don't teach that to us. You know, they don't ever teach you, okay, it's okay to be in love with yourself and like yourself. That doesn't mean you're a narcissist. It's so funny. I definitely was raised in a culture where any sort of therapy was thought of as indulgent, you know, and like mm -hmm. dramatic and you want attention and sobriety even was like, I think seen just in the broader, like little microculture that I was in, for whatever reason, those were the values that were passed down that like sobriety was even a little bit dramatic and asking mm -hmm. for attention. It was like, buck up, be, be a man, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. um, and, I, and I had a bias against any sort of wellness or self care. I was like, oh my God, you're so weak. You're so indulgent. Like, and now I just can't, 
I've traced back where those things come from and it's been a fascinating little exploration because they're just random values that I happen to be born into this culture that um, that handed those down. And it's so exciting to realize you can go and find new ones that work because absolutely self-love is not narcissistic. I think the more, you, you know, the better care you take of yourself, the better you can take care of other people. So ultimately it's a generous thing to do. It's a com community oriented thing to do. You start here and then you know, you have more to give. I know what you're saying about that. I mean, when I, even still, when I go to Savannah, it's like, are you still doing that thing, Amanda? And it's almost <laughs> this implication of drama. Like, oh, you gotta, you know, suck the air out of the room with your whole, I'm not having any wine thing. It's like, first of all, who cares? You know, it's every night at six and they buy me all the fake wine or whatever. Like, do you want a fourth glass of orange soda? And I'm like, oh no, like what? And, and it's so freeing not to revolve around that six o'clock. We know we're going to, we're all just going to congregate in the kitchen and I'll say, oh, who wants to go to a movie at 5.15? And there's this like, whoa, <laughs> we can't be out of the house. And it's wonderful in my normal life where I don't even think about it, you know? I do have a ginger beer with lime juice most nights and I love it. I love the ritual of sort of turning to evening. But, um, but I, do, I know what you mean. There was, I had a lot of negative judgment about, like everyone thought I was being dramatic by saying I needed to quit because I had not been like a flamboyant problem to anyone else. It was more of a problem for me to not be wasted and to be like, I don't know, I wanna be here. That was way more a problem for other people than me saying, than me just going along with it. So yeah, I had to fight that. It's really strange, isn't it? That they'd be like, you're so dramatic that you're deciding for yourself that you don't wanna drink alcohol. Meanwhile, like the actual drama that comes at the end of a dinner where like people have had like three bottles of wine each, you're like, really, I'm dramatic? Y'all are crazy, you know? It's, I mean, and it's good, it's good to parse these things out though, because you can see what's crazy. At my house, it's like, I could look at a clock and when someone will be like, so what do you all think of this 10 year old <laughs> issue that we still disagree on? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's that time. And so and now- It's time. And what was your, what do you say to the person that's out there right now? And I think that given, you know, what has been going on in society with this COVID-19 and a lot of people being at home. And I think a lot of people, I think more people are turning to alcohol as the solution to the problems that we're feeling on the inside. Right. I mean, I know that I've been feeling, I mean, I eat cake <laughs> or I'll go get some candy, you know, chocolate bars or whatever. And what do you say to the person that's out there and they're like, I just, I, I'm, I, I, I can't, how do I get away from it? I'm like, here I am. I'm in my house. I can't get, it's sitting there. It's so easy. It's so easy just to pick that up and just make all my problems go away. What do you say to that person that's out there feeling that way? Do you have any advice for them? I would probably, again, because I didn't do this when I was younger, I would probably emphasize reaching out, even if it's just listening to podcasts, reading books, getting into a Facebook online group, you know, just hearing other voices, because I think it's partly being alone with all of that chaos that is so exhausting and like 
hard on a person. Um, I think I think giving it up. It is. It is. There's never. Amanda and I have talked about this a lot too. There's never a good time. It's like there's never a good time to have a baby or write a book either. Like, so quarantine is not necessarily like the easiest time to say I'm gonna now start a 30 day stint. It's also not the worst time though. Um, and there's so many online resources and and people that are so ready to share wisdom and knowledge. Like once I started asking, there was just this abundance of um generosity from people willing to share what they had learned so i would say reach out in whatever way a person is comfortable i would say to the previous me at four o'clock who knew i wanted to quit but was basically deciding to pour that first glass of wine and then moderate it for the rest of the night i would say you think that the hard part is stopping but you're in the hardest part now. And that the freedom from those thoughts, from that four o'clock dilemma with yourself and letting yourself down, the freedom is worth the first few months of, of just sucking it up and, and not drinking. It's, it's gonna be hard tonight, but right now you're in the worst. And there's this free, happy life that waits for you if you start today. You just stop, stop drinking today. Yeah, because when you, Amanda, especially when you were talking about how you would go and you would manage it, like just the management and like, where is there enough? Is there not enough? How much? Do, I mean, am I going to do it today? Am I not going to do it today? If I am going to do it today, how am I going to hide it? How am I not going to be hungover? What am I going to do if I am hungover? I'm going to be hungover. What? And I, until I got sober, did I realize it was like prison? Don't you guys think it was like prison now that you think back? Because it was like, that was my God. Yeah, I mean, I have, I still get emails that are like, self-monitor your data, your drinking data in this spreadsheet that I was doing. But I remember clearly a night at the Texas Book Festival, there's a black tie party and I have this beautiful gown and I had the party beforehand. And I told myself, this was in my period of, I will never drink more than four glasses of wine again. And so I had this party, I had my gown, all my friends were there, I drank four glasses of wine, and then everyone went to the big event, and I knew if I went, I would drink. So I was like, well, I got this under control, I'm not going to go. And everybody left, and I was sitting alone on my couch at home, and I thought, like, this is winning, <laughs> this is, this is pathetic, you know, and the following year I went to everything sober. I could go anywhere. I could leave. I could stay and the freedom of that. But I still remember sitting there in my gown like, yeah, I'm moderating <laughs> for me. What? Yeah, it is a prison. It was it's amazing though. Like I would know, I knew that at 30, like, wow, so much of your brain is being taken up by like policing and like measuring and planning and then regretting and all of that and man it is such a strong pull that this thing would keep pulling me over even though i knew i knew i knew that it was a prison for me for me it was a prison um early on and it, it is amazing how it can still override all of your logic and all of your own intelligence and get you to go out that one more night or or another glass. So figuring out what that pull is for me was massive. Like why why is all of your, you know, common sense being eradicated by this 
gravity, you know? I think I also thought that if I didn't drink that night, I would keep feeling the same way. And, and when people said to me, oh, there'll be a day when you don't think about it at all, I did not believe that at all. And, and instead it's like all those thoughts are replaced with feeling good. Like, I wish I could have wine, but I can't and I'm so proud of myself. And it's just such a much nicer loop. But I think I didn't really believe that that's how it would be. It would just suck, I thought. <laughs> Maybe that, maybe that was part of mine too. Cause I look back at that. I'm like, wow, I was just stuck in this thing for so long, like knowing and then doing the opposite, knowing and doing the opposite. And um, it's interesting to figure out what was going on there. And the freedom that you get from it. And when you're looking back now in hindsight, right? The hindsight is what is so cool. It's like, wow. And not regretting who I was. Like, I don't regret all those crazy antics, you know, I wish I remembered some of them, but I don't, you know, you think about it. It's like, I, you know, I grew, now I'm a grown up. I, the last thing I ever wanted to be was a grown up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And that was part of it too, I think. Like I was a mom of three kids, but I would drink whiskey. So I was young. It's like, that doesn't really, I guess that nothing makes you look younger and more fabulous than getting wasted in your mid-40s. Oof. I know I'm so much fun with the kids. I do a lot more fun kid stuff. It's really, it's so freeing and great. It is. It's so amazing. You guys are awesome. Okay. This was just to like, I, just to be on with you two. I just feel the energy, even though we've never met before, but through the zoom, I'm feeling the energy. I love it. I love that you guys have been vulnerable, that you put this book out there. This is a resource for people today, you know, so they don't have to feel like I'm such a loser. What am I going to do? I'm going to be at home sitting here by myself and I'm never going to have fun again. I hope so. That's definitely the dream. So thank yeah. you so and the people much. Know they're not yeah. alone. We're all here. Mm -hmm. We're all doing it, you know? Yeah, that's the hardest thing. Cause I did think that I was going to be alone and I was never going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's funny cause we talked about what does happiness really mean? Right? Yeah. Yeah, completely building that up from like the little building blocks. Like it's, it's an exciting thing to do. Whether a person is, doing that in sobriety or just doing that in the middle of their lives. It's very similar. A lot of people do have this break where they rethink it all. So. And that's what we're able to do during Time Out Land, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, Take whether time. we want to or not. Exactly. <laughs> You're forced to be with your feelings. And if you do, so the people that are out there, please pick up this book and know that you don't have to be alone. And that we too, we're, we are examples of how we're living our lives today without being with that bondage, that crazy obsession to drink anymore. It does go away. It just takes a little bit of time, right? Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And picking up different tools. Well, you ladies, thank you. Thank you. I hope if you write another book, you'll come on, will you? Thank you, oh, of absolutely. course. Oh, please yeah, thank do. You. Thank you. And until next time, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.